I never feel ashamed of being Israeli because being Israeli is many things. It's not just what the government is doing. I don't feel uh, to blame for what is happening in Israel-Palestine, but I feel a huge responsibility. I feel a responsibility to the actions of people such as Ariel Sharon and Benjamin Netanyahu, even though I, have, I would and have opposed their, their stances for many years, because what they're doing, they're doing also in my name, even though I don't agree with them. And therefore, I feel that this sense of responsibility makes me speak up and act. Um, but this need to speak up and act derives primarily from the understanding that what the Nazis have done to the Jews has basically erased our face. They have erased our humanity. They have erased Jewish participation in, in, in what they understood as being human. And I think to a certain degree, we are doing the same to Palestinians. We have completely erased, some of us completely erased, the sense of these people are human beings just like us. They feel, they act, they think, they, they sense just like we do. And therefore, the loss of Palestinian lives is just as valuable and just as painful as the loss of Israeli lives. Security officials in Israel have met to discuss their response to last night's Palestinian suicide bombing in the northern Israeli town of Netanya. 19 people were killed and up to 100 were injured when the bomber walked into the dining room of a hotel and blew himself up. Israel is calling this the Passover massacre. We tried all our all the international effort. We give a chance for the United Nations to interfere. They failed. We give a chance to the Oslo agreement, but they did not also achieve anything. And we consider the only way that we can at least protest Israeli occupation, we have to resist. Otherwise, the whole world will not listen to us or will not see our suffering. Israeli tanks have entered the West Bank town of Ramallah and have surrounded the headquarters of the Palestinian leader Yasser Arafat. A bulldozer knocked down part of a wall around the compound and there have been exchanges of fire between Israeli troops and Mr Arafat's bodyguards. The incursion followed Wednesday night's suicide bombing in the Palestinian city of Netanya in which 19 Israelis were killed. Whether we like it or not, we must sit here. What we feel does not matter. We are the heirs. Our legacy is in the air we breathe, the ground we stand on. One of us lives in the neighborhood you were raised in, where you took your first steps and met the world. Then everyone left. Your uncles and aunts carried their belongings and left. It was 48. They are destroying homes in the camps, and they're trying to frighten the people, and they're starting to, to look and to search for the young people from home to home. They start just two hours back in the Lamari camp and collecting young people and to investigate and to see uh, uh, any of them has any sort of activity.
Yes, well, the Palestinians are, are claiming the, that there is total war, that uh, Ariel Sharon has uh, now gone all out. Uh, Sharon himself, uh, or sources close to him, say that he has abandoned a policy of restraint which was in place for about two weeks. Uh, well, uh, the American envoy, Anthony Zinni, tried to get a ceasefire on the ground, but uh, all ceasefires uh, not being mentioned today. Uh, it's, it's total war in Ramallah. Israeli troops and tanks entered the West Bank city of Jenin overnight, bringing to five the number of West Bank cities occupied by Israel so far. Ramallah, Bethlehem, Tulkarum, Kalkilia and Jenin. Troops also entered the West Bank village of Salfit. We understand, we remember and understand it all. The need for safety, a safety no one else can take away. The need for control, not waiting online to get attention or for the consciences of others to awaken. We understand what it means to have children who die, children who live and learn to be proud of who they are. So I was born in Haifa, in Haifa, um, in October 1944, which was just the end of the Second World War. My family came from Bukovina, northern Romania. Um, Fine enough, both of them came from the same area, although father came to Palestine when he was about 13. Um, he came, as I say, to Palestine in, in 1926, and a mother came in 1941, almost in the last moment that it was possible for her and her parents and brother to leave, leave uh, Chernovitz, which was a very well-known um, town in, in, uh, in Bukovina, a town from which lots of scholars, Jewish scholars and uh, artists came from, including Paul Celan. Um, they were preparing to leave for a long time because they were quite wealthy. They had sawmills, but they left uh, their hometown, Dorna, to go to Chernovitz in order to prepare for uh, immigration to Israel. Because they were wealthy, they were able to purchase for the four members of their small family um, immigration certificates from the British Mandate authorities. There were one thousand sterling each, which was a lot of money this time, but they had this. And it's at, at a certain day, they decided that they heard that the, the uh, Russians are going to invade the town, and they've decided this is the time to go. And of course, they were very lucky because within a very short time uh, of when the Russian came, um, the town was recaptured by the Germans, and the Jews were put in a ghetto. And most of the Jews of Chernovitz either managed to somehow survive the war in this ghetto or were deported to Transnistria. Six April 2002. I take part in the Palestine Solidarity Campaign demonstration outside the Central Bank. Lynn Jervis asks me to be one of the speakers. I agree readily a chance to say something in public about how I feel. The demonstration is quite large. The police and papers say 500 people. Participants speak about 2,000, the largest in Dublin so far for Palestine. There are many Palestinians here today, many young Arab families, men, women, children, babies. At first, I don't see all the placards. I don't see that some of them equate the Star of David with a swastika, or that some read Hitler killed six millions. Sharon is doubling that. I'm carried away by the enthusiasm of the crowd, but I cannot agree with chants such as down, down with Israel, although I understand their anger. 
Several TDs speak, a Muslim cleric, and then I. I'm presented as an Israeli peace activist, and I bring greetings from the Israeli peace camp and tell the gathering about the opposition within Israel. I say that soldiers looting and stealing from Palestinian houses and supermarkets is not what I expected from Israelis. And I conclude by asking the gathering to support putting pressure on Israel to withdraw and call for an international force. When I get off the podium, a Palestinian man congratulates me. He has good Hebrew, learned during a stint in Israeli jails. He's from Gaza and has refugee status in Ireland. Many people thank me, and again, like many times in the past, I feel like their token good Israeli. It pains me that no other Jew or Israeli has come out in support of the Palestinian case in Ireland, or at least in criticism of Sharon's and the IDF policies of destruction. But what's new? I was always alone in this opposition work here, which makes me both persona grata in certain circles and the hated figure in the Jewish community who see me as a self-hating Jew. I send a report of the demonstration to email friends and vow not to participate in another demonstration which is so vengeful and hateful. Yes, I understand the hatred and anger, but no one mentioned the word peace. I remind myself I'm a peace activist, even as I'm completely cynical as to any chances of peace during my lifetime, and regret I did not call on the gathering to repeat after me the words Salam, Shalom, Hackneyed as they have become. This is a picture of my parents in a student's ball in the local tech- technical university in Haifa in 1945, just a year after I was born. Uh, they were dressed, she was dressed in an evening dress, he was dressed in a suit, not very typical to the way Israelis dressed at the time. But this was a sense of their Europeanness. She had just been only a few years in Israel. And um, in fact, his friends, who had been more the pioneering types, had shunned her because she used to wear lipstick. There was a sense of asceticism in much of the life. Women didn't bother to wear makeup. They didn't bother very much about their appearance. But she was, she came with a sort of diaspora-type mentality, European-type mentality, and she looked after her appearance. She was very um, well-kept and whatever. And... Um, she wasn't very popular because of that, because she was supposed to be putting on airs and graces. So this kind of picture from the from the ball shows that they were doing things in a very European way. Today, this asceticism is more or less gone uh, for many years. This is her with me when I was uh, a baby, and her story is that when when uh, during the um, the war, uh, prior to the war, there were attacks on Haifa. I was about two and a half, three, and father was in the Haganah, which was the pre-state army. And she used to clutch me in one arm, and the other arm she would hold a revolver that father had left for her. She used to mumble to me and to her, oh, I hate Arabs, I hate Arabs. And this thing somehow, I kind of grew up with it at some level, you know. <laughs> shooting the AK-47 at least uh, five minutes. I was right where it happened. I heard the shooting around and suddenly I saw one of the bullets running right next to my ear. I didn't look. I just ran off for my life. I, I, I was there. I saw that he, he was stoned or something. 
he took out his gun slowly and he just started shooting. We're again Arabs and we want them out of our country already. 8 April 2002. The Irish Times reports my speech. At some level, I'm divided. My mother, friends, brother in Israel are terrified to go out, putting on a brave face and attempting to lead a normal life, while all around them fear and suspicion reign. There is little point in making comparisons. Both our peoples are terrorized, but I have to remind myself that it is our responsibility. Though this is not shared by most Israelis and Jews who think it is terrorism who done it. So despite the emotional upheaval, I'm resolved not to lessen my opposition and do all I can. Like my email Israeli friend Yudit Ha'el, a bereaved mother and daughter of Holocaust survivors, who is better qualified than her? I know that my duty is not to remain silent about what I see as injustices, gross infringements of human rights, cruelty, brutalization because we have to keep a critical stance about our own side, like righteous Gentiles during the Holocaust, who often risk their lives. We are not risking our lives, at least I'm not risking my life, only my peace of mind. But the struggle for justice and truth is crucial for me. I must go on, even as I cannot go on. Dozens have been killed. Just how many, no one knows, as journalists and observers have been stopped by Israeli security forces from operating normally. Hundreds have been arrested in what the Israelis insist is a drive against known or suspected Arab terrorists. Yasser Arafat himself has been confined to two rooms in his Ramallah headquarters. The United Nations has called for the Israelis to withdraw to secure borders. US President George Bush belatedly did the same. But Israeli Prime Minister Ariel Sharon has made it clear there will be no cessation until, in their terms, the job is completed. That week, as news of the atrocities committed in the course of fighting in Janin, Bethlehem, Nablus, Ramallah keep coming over the email, I am more and more resolved. I pass on emails, sign petitions, converse with friends in Israel. Yehudit is solid in her support. And like her, I'm convinced that the Holocaust would be left out of it, as neither Arafat nor Sharon are Hitler, and neither the Palestinians nor the Israelis are Nazis, even as the two sides make frequent and inappropriate use of the Holocaust to justify their actions. I receive scores of emails each day. I cannot read them all, but I make myself. I don't sleep well. I'm in a constant state of shock and stress constantly tired. Earlier, the Israeli Prime Minister, Ariel Sharon, told his country's parliament, the Knesset, that Israel still had unfinished business on the West Bank and would establish buffer zones when it eventually pulled back its troops. Nahla Abdo, a Palestinian-born Nazareth, Israel, tells me of her brother and sister and their lives in Ramallah, without water, without electricity, terrified for their lives. Tanks outside their apartments, their children shut up at home, not going to school. We keep calling each other for support. She's filling her time with activism. She has organized a group called Women Against Occupation and is organizing rallies, meetings, speeches. I am immobilized. I keep thinking how much I would like to be in Israel, protesting, marching, organizing humanitarian assistance. 
the opposition by Israelis gives me a sense of pride. At least we are not all willing participants. Around the 1950s, um, mother's relatives be began arriving in Israel. They, all of them had been to Transnistria. Um, father's relatives, most of them had stayed in Romania for a variety of reasons, uh, but um, her relatives used to congregate every Saturday afternoon at my grandmother's uh, flat in, um, in Tel Aviv. To me, they were very foreign. They were very different to what I was surrounded with. Um, for instance, they wore very heavy lipstick and makeup, which people around me didn't. They had different smells. They were kind of slightly... They were very foreign, very strange. They used to hold us and kiss us, and we used to kind of always feel quite repelled by their diaspora-ness because we were brought up as a new breed of Jews. We were no longer diaspora Jews, and that was very palpable at home. It wasn't just politically. I mean, at home, father would say things like, you will never know what anti-Semitism means. You are our new generation. And this notion of the new generation to the first generation to redemption which was a, po uh, a line from a poem by, by Chernihovsky, very one of the major uh, classical Israeli poem, poets, something which was very palpable at home. We were brought up to love the land, for instance. And that was father's job. He took us around on, on hikes, on trips. We learned to know the land. The, the notion was of conquering the land through our feet, from getting to know every mountain, every valley, every, every um, plant and every animal, any, every bird. There was a, a sense of this is our place. Um, this is a place where we can be free. And the whole notion of the fact that there was another people there was obliterated, not necessarily in a nasty way, not by my parents anyway, because they were never madly nationalistic. But the notion was this is our new place, this is our place to keep, and here we can be a different sort of person. And so these relatives who came from, from Romania were completely different to what we felt we were. And their children, these people's children, uh, looked very strange to us. They were wearing diaspora clothes. This, the word diaspora, galut, was used all the time. One had a galut mentality. One had a galut style of dressing. One had a galut way of um, making up your face. Uh, one wore hats, like the men wore hats, which, which nobody around me did. They wore f sometimes even jackets and ties. Uh, the children were awkward. The Hebrew wasn't very good. They had accents. Accent was a very important marker of where you belonged. And without talking about ethnicity, uh, which I realized later, there was a sense of we were marking, we were making kind of bound, we creating boundaries here. And that was difficult in retrospect, to have grown up like that. Because to, to be told that everything is yours to have, uh, particularly because your previous generation didn't have that dreamt of thing, like the land of their own, obliterated from your sight, from your horizon, loads of other things. And one never thought about justice or injustice these days. There was only one justice, that was justice for the Jews. Around me, Israeli forces have taken control of the center of Bethlehem. 
tanks are positioned in many areas, and I've seen a number of foot soldiers go through narrow streets just a few meters from where I'm standing. Ahead of me, I can see the outskirts of Manger Square. The Israeli army says it's now inside, and it says that a number of Palestinian gunmen have taken refuge in churches around the square. It was a very horrible night. The Israeli army has attacked the Church of Nativity, and they have uh, shooted a rocket at the main uh, hall of the church. And the main mosaic, the main historical mosaics on the Church of Nativity has been hit. During the morning here, I've heard bursts of gunfire, and I can hear tanks moving. The mayor of Bethlehem, Hannah Nasser, says that ambulances are still not allowed to use the roads. For now, most people are staying inside their homes. Doubts break through. This is in the air. The reluctance to have understanding be enough. We asked, didn't you omit part of the picture? Didn't you leave out a piece along the border, a piece of the sky, the very peak of a mountain, the bus bombed, the children in the schoolhouse, peaceful farmers plowing fields? You left out part of the picture. The bomb went off on the Jaffa Road, one of the main streets of Jerusalem leading past the old city and into the new. A huge blast rocked a bus stop near the city's central market in the late afternoon. The area was crowded with people shopping and going home for the Jewish Sabbath. Understanding wraps us again tightly towards each other. We remember the camps during and after. During, there was murder and resistance more murder and after there was determination sneaking in at night no lights burning the small boats the landings on the beach when everyone else had said don't go there or there or there or who wants them anyway they've always been trouble and again after bombings massacres we understand the actions of a desperate people we need Genuine intervention, Sharon's policies are bringing death to both people, except when it happens to Palestinians, not only doesn't the world sit up and take notice, you don't have cameramen, you don't have people in Janine and Nablus. We need to stop Sharon, his lethal policies are drawing blood on both sides. I don't think there was a notion of being part of a chosen people, um, because the atmosphere is always an atmosphere of war. One didn't live in fear or in danger, but the feeling is that we were always being attacked by the Arabs. Not so much local Palestinians who were citizens, second class, but citizens, but we were always um, on the brink of war. And because war punctuated your life to such an extent, the military punctuated life to such an extent, you had no time to think of yourself as a chosen people. My parents were not arrogant people. We were not told that we were chosen, but we were told we were lucky because we have a place of our own. Um, Day of Independence was always celebrated with great joy. The songs we sang were always about making the, our land bloom. Um, uh, the youth is the future of the country. It's almost like some of the words, when you actually listen to some of the words, they are Soviet in tone. We are tulips, which were um, nicknamed the Reds in the, in the revolution. Vanya, Vanya, my dear brother, take me with you to the war. You will be a red commissar and I will be a nursing sister. These were the songs we sang. And side by side with them were songs by Israeli poets or words by Israeli poets who talked about the joy of, 
of um, um, conquering the land, the joy of defending the land with our um, uh, arms and with our... And many, many songs kind of glorified the, the soldier who was always a brother or father or an uncle. It was like, okay, because this society had to, we had to make this place ours regardless of what it took. And it's so much permeated that you had no time to think of yourself as a chosen people because that was almost irrelevant. Uh, what also was irrelevant, which is interesting, was our Judaism. We were kind of Israelis and not Jews in a funny way. Um, it was about almost um, um, rejecting the Jewishness in favor of this mythical Israeliness. And it was difficult because in a way it cut your roots. I hope that it will end soon because it's, it's almost, it, it is a massacre. Uh, people, civilians are being uh, attacked from uh, the air, from, from uh, tanks on the ground, uh, from everywhere. And uh, the situation is terrible. So I hope that it will end soon. We're asking why is the silence? Why the silence in Britain? Why the silence with, with all the European countries? Why even the condemnation? Is, we're not hearing clear the massacres committed against civilians we have. 49 people killed in the last five days, including women and children. I think I can speak for all in the UN delegation here that we are shocked. This is horrifying beyond belief. Uh, just seeing uh, this area looks like as if there had been an earthquake here. 13 April 2002. By now, news reports are speaking for massacre in Jenin. Perhaps massacre seems to be exaggerated. Was there an actual order for mass killings? or simply disregard for human lives, as the humanity of the other, the face of the other, has been completely erased. This was done to Jews, who were first compared to vermin, then removed from the homes, and only then, when they were psychologically and geographically removed, they were killed and no one cared. Words are not important. The fact remained that according to international observers, Israeli peace organizations, and later the UN special envoy to the Middle East, what was done in Janine was horrifying beyond belief. We are 3.3 million Palestinians confined to our homes, towns, villages, refugee camps. There are serious shortages of food, water, medical supplies. And, and yes, I know that you know they have so strong uh, influence around the world, the, the, the policy making in, in Europe and so on. But for God's sake, we are human beings. 16 April 2002. Although I said I would not take part in the demonstration outside the Westin Hotel, where the Israeli embassy is holding its Independence Day reception, I cannot stay away. There are almost more policemen than demonstrators. Did they fear physical attacks on Jews? I have a huge problem with demonstrators shouting shame at individual Jewish people going into the reception. Shouting shame at Jews has a history. I do not join the shouting. The peace movement in Israel dates, I think, seriously to 1982 with the Lebanon uh, war, which was the first war to be perceived by a majority of Israelis as a no, um, a, as a choice war, as a war that was not about the very existence of the state itself. 
the beginning of um, dialogue work with Palestinians began um, seriously after 67 um, with groups such as Matspen. Matspen means compass, the group which I belong to in after 67. These people realized that um, the war of 67 was not necessary and that the occupation uh, is uh, is a wrong. Some people realize the occupation is wrong from the, from the heart of the Zionist consensus because people realize that it will create a brutalization of, of the Israeli society, which did happen in terms of not only of what soldiers were called upon to do, but also the settlements, also the various um, 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 deals in, in land and so on and so forth. But a peace movement began in seriousness, as I say, in the 1982 Lebanon, uh, invasion to Lebanon, with a group called Peace Now, which was, um, again, sprung at the heart of the, the consensus by a group of high-ranking reserve officer, officers, men mostly, although some women were involved as well, who called for the return of the um, territories in return for peace. But um, another very important development in the Lebanon War was a group of mothers uh, who organized to return the boys back from Lebanon because there was huge um, uh, there were huge losses of uh, Israeli soldiers in Lebanon and it was seen as completely and utterly um, pointless to remain in Lebanon and have uh, soldiers being killed so again the, the impetus was not so much what was happening to the Palestinian population uh, who were um, many of whom were killed and many of whom were made homeland homeless by by the invasion by the air bombardments, but what was happening to uh, our own soldiers. And this group of mothers um, agitated and perhaps eventually, after 14 years, I think, or whatever it was, brought about the, uh, the um, um, withdrawal from Lebanon. Um, side by side with the growth of, growth of the movement by mothers, various meetings were held between Palestinian and Israeli women um, and various demonstrations were held, and these demonstrations peaked with the uh, advent of women in black in 1987, when women began to hold vigils, silent vigils, every Friday afternoon before people kind of closed for the Sabbath, uh, with the signs calling to end the occupation. I think the, the impetus of the peace movement, at least from the distance of where I look at it, which is mostly on the email, um, seems to have grown dramatically. Although at the same time the support for Ariel Sharon's policies is also growing with every suicide bomb, people feel that the only way to put down this terrorist terrorism or terrorist attacks is by force. Although it, it is very clear to me and to obviously other peace activists that it's not working, even from the away from the morality side of it, it's not efficient because every act of Closure, every act of um, tanks uh, getting into a West Bank city, every act of um, ransacking um, various institutions of Palestinian Authority, Minister for Education, things of that nature, every such act breeds new suicide bombers, breeds people who are desperate enough and determined enough to fight the occupation in the only way they know, which is by using their bodies to uh, to fight because they don't have much many other ways of fighting. They don't have tanks. They don't have um, um, planes. They don't have uh, other other ways. It's horrific. I think suicide bombs are horrific, particularly in the in the damage they wreak. But at some level, it's understandable. It's the 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 last resort of the absolutely desperate.
Israelis are aware of their security. On the long run, the Israeli security will make them tired of this uh, occupation. If we look at the other alternative, if we accept Israeli occupation, so we are dead, all of us. We are alive with dignity if we resist. So the resistance gives us the dignity. All the people who struggled for their freedom got victorious at the end. See Vietnamese against Americans, see Algerians against French, see Lebanese against Israelis. Victory is theirs. At the end, we have to resist. 23rd April 2002. A visit from a school friend who is now a major television commentator in Israel. I don't know him that well, but our politics are reasonably similar. He's in Ireland with the television crew, making a program on Ireland as a tourist destination. We go out to dinner with his crew, which represents a spectrum of political opinions. An Israeli-American woman who believes we have to do all it takes to ensure our own security, regardless. A young left-wing reserve officer who would not refuse service, but who is wondering what he would do if he had to get into a private Palestinian home or order the bulldozers to flatten a Palestinian house. And my school friend tells it to them like it is. Yes, Israeli soldiers do loot and steal. They do commit unwarranted acts of cruelty. He has been there himself. The Israelis ask me how I feel when I see posters advertising a support Palestine opposed the war in Iraq demonstration. They cannot quite understand or accept that I support the demonstration. Who will organize the world, they ask me, if the USA doesn't? It's too late for political discussion, and I shrug. I take my friend to his hotel, and we reminisce about old school friends. Some have been killed in the various wars, but amongst our year, there was one chief of staff, who later became a minister in Barack's government, another was a minister in Sharon's government, quite a number of professors, some left-wing activists, some judges, and many others who I've forgotten, having removed myself from the hive of my youth such a long time ago. It's horrible. People wander around in a state of shock. And people have lost everything, all their family heirlooms, their grandmother's jewelry, the gold, everything. It's really, it, it, it's terrible. Doubts break us apart. We can barely breathe. We ask, why are you our problem too? We can hardly hold our own. Why can't you just blend in with your own kind? This is not a uh, situation of tit for tat. Palestinian terrorist organizations and security forces are targeting Israeli civilians virtually every day. Israel is targeting those who want to kill our people and we will defend ourselves. All of us part. You move off in a separate direction. The rest of us return to the other Jerusalem. It is night. I still hear your voice. It is in the air now with everything else except sharper, clearer. I think of your relatives, your uncles and aunts. I see the familiar battered suitcases, cartons with strings, stuffed pillowcases, children sitting on people's shoulders, children running to keep up. 
Always there is migration on this restless planet. Everywhere there is displacement. Somewhere someone is always telling someone else to move on, to go elsewhere. And I think Sharon is a man who doesn't want to give anyone the chance. Look, General Zini had made a lot of progress. We're almost there to declare a ceasefire and to implement it. The Arab League summit decision. This comes to destroy everything because Sharon is a man who ideologically believes that a strong and united Israel needs enemies at its borders and not good neighborly relations with the Arab countries. I remember the exact moment when my I realized that that uh, that certain injustices were being made, or that that what was what we were told had to had to happen was not necessarily the right way. Um, it was a few months after the '67 war, which was a wonderful uh, uh, victory, as you remember, for Israel. And during which, because I was not in the army, I would not be mobilized, I had roamed around the city of Jerusalem, where I was now living, uh, as I'd done my university work, and then I was, I was now living, uh, working um, with a group of friends, uh, roaming the streets like Egypt, you know, in, in kind of under, underneath the, 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 the bullets, uh, find, looking for something to do. And experiencing the war in a very, very, um, very um, personal way, um, lots of really difficult first experiences. Yet this this still didn't change my mind. I mean, we were like everybody else. We were thrilled in the in the victory, uh, the, the first victory. Very interesting, really heady days. And this didn't change my mind yet. But I remember sitting in a bar where I was working um, with some friends who were very left wing, and uh, it was a few months after the war, and the, there were still uh, attacks on the Syrian, Syrian border or some, some place. And I said to my friend, but if we won, why are they still shooting? And he said, don't think that this is over. This is now, it's, it's only beginning now. Uh, we, this war uh, had not solved any of the real issues, the conflict between Israelis and Palestinians. Watch this space. And I was absolutely flabbergasted, but I started talking to this group of people they were a um, Trotskyite group belonging to the Fourth International. Now, I did, never understood anything about Marxism-Leninism at this stage, but emotionally I felt something was, something was wrong. And I felt somehow that we were um, completely um, ignoring the humanity of the Palestinians uh, in, in all the jingoism and all the, and all the talk. And I started going to their meetings. But I started thinking, and the more I thought, the more I thought, this is not right, this is not human, this is not just. And also I felt it was not clever. I didn't feel it was leading us to where we said all, all the time, we said we want to live in peace with our neighbors. At least that was the rhetoric. However, suddenly I realized maybe we didn't want to live in peace with our neighbors. Maybe we did want to rule another, another uh, nation. Maybe we did want to hold on to these, these areas, these territories, and settle people there. In fact, at the beginning, people spoke of the settlers as these are the real uh, pioneers, the real chalutzim of the, of the, uh, of the 1960s. Uh, and we were visiting these places. We were thrilled with East Jerusalem. All these things were great until I began to twig that it wasn't so great. And I was, became increasingly uh, uncomfortable with, with uh, the power imbalance, with being so powerful over a human being who was just like me. 
Friday, 31st of May, 2002. As I am writing this short letter, IDF forces are storming against Balata refugee camp, again destroying walls of houses, of living people to arrest, to kill. In short, to fight terrorism. But all the towns and cities of the West Bank are under a strict closure, now more than ever before. Hundreds of villages in the West Bank have long been under closure and curfew. The gasification of the West Bank is taking place on a daily basis to bring them back to a stone age. No doctors, no medicines, villages surrounded by ditches, barbed wire, soldiers, tanks. Imagine thousands of families with no source of income anymore. Imagine the nights in the villages and towns when people are scared to death by the armored vehicles bumping outside, bumping into parked cars, walls, people. This is routine now. A Yiddish song we learned from our parents spoke of Die Städtel brennt. The town is burning. It should be sung in Arabic now. What shall we tell our children about the present? That it began with our destruction? What shall we tell them about the past? That they shouldn't have treated us like gypsies? Or Africans? Or Palestinians? Night, Jerusalem, Yerushalayim, Jerusalem. If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Hebron, Ramallah, Nablus, Katana. If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, O Hebron, may I forget my own past, my pain, the depth of my sorrows. The world is saying, these Jews are really giving us a headache, you know. Uh, therefore, people saying, well, if really something really happened to the state of Israel, nobody would lift a finger. I don't believe that's true. I think we are on the conscious of the world in some way, which no other group is, because we are seen as part of what it means to be a, a Christian, a European, a North American, because it all started with us in a funny way. But we too have internalized that. We are different. We are more we are, we owe more to both ourselves and the world. And this is a very difficult place to work from. It's very, very hard. And I really agonize over it. And I feel that if, my, if, if we deserve, but they deserve as well. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.